You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. An update on Venezuela and its power outages, amplification of social media posts as a form of mass persuasion. We've got a look at how control of the internet has replaced control of the radio station as a move in civil war and coup or counter coup planning. Asian game makers get backdoored out of China. Decryptors are out for Big Bob Ross ransomware. Senator Warren versus Facebook and Facebook versus itself. And Sir Tim Berners Lee on the web's 30th birthday. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 12, 2019. If you're interested in concise expositions of the Chavista line on Venezuela's ongoing power crisis, Citizen Truth is retailing it like it's 1919, and Iran's Tosnim agency like it's 1979. It was criminal Yankee cyber attacks and sabotage by traitorous, disloyal Venezuelans that done it, says nominal but arguably deposed President Maduro. The New York Times has a reflective and comprehensive account of the outages, which it sadly concludes are likely to continue for the foreseeable future with all the suffering they produce. The Timesman on the scene who co-wrote the article, Anatoly Kormanayev, is even clearer in his personal Twitter feed on how the blackouts probably came about. Neglect, layoffs... Failure to clear brush from around transmission lines and substations, with brush fires knocking out power, load demand exceeding capacity, and so on. It certainly looks like the result of infrastructure collapse, with no need to reach for sabotage or cyber attack as explanations. 21 of Venezuela's 23 states have been affected by the blackouts. There are two bits of overt and undeniable Yankee intervention in the crisis— The U.S. State Department has pulled its last remaining diplomats from Caracas, and the U.S. Treasury Department has sanctioned a Russian bank for evading sanctions against the Chavista regime. Researchers at security firm F-Secure have been looking at Brexit posts in social media and believe they've found that at least one side of the House, the Brexit side, has had its views amplified by tweets from unspecified international actors generally engaged in boosting causes and moods F-Secure characterizes as right, including such populist unrest as that of France's Gilles Jean. Effective control over the Internet seems to have become the equivalent of what shaky regimes and their coup-plotting opponents of the mid-20th century always sought in the opening days of a crisis, control of the radio station. Online intelligence firm Recorded Future this morning released a study of how such control has played out in troubled places over the last half decade or so. Their research follows up an earlier report outlining the digital conflict that has attended Yemen's civil war. Two more net sweeper devices have now been set up in Yemen. These devices are usually used for web content filtering, but they can be used for censorship if they're implemented with a consumer-facing internet service provider. When Houthi rebels took over Yemen's capital in 2014, the country's major internet provider fell under their control. The researchers had previously identified one net sweeper device on the Houthi-controlled network. Beyond Yemen, Recorded Future also takes a look at internet manipulation in Venezuela, Bangladesh, Sudan, and India. 
Last month, Kaspersky Lab observed DNS manipulation in Venezuela that resulted in Venezuelan supporters of Juan Guaido entering their personal information on a malicious spoofed website. In January, Bangladesh throttled all mobile data services in the country in order to limit communication before its national election. Recorded Future sees this as an attempt to control the external narrative of the country's internal affairs, particularly by inhibiting talk of human rights abuses. This past December, Sudan cut off access to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp as a rumor control move during a period of nationwide protests. India, with a well-developed and relatively sophisticated level of connectivity, saw a large number of Internet disruptions. Most of the government-induced shutdowns came in response to reported terrorist or militant activity, but the researchers say the scope and regularity of the incidents inevitably raise troubling questions about control of information. The Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute is hosting their fifth annual cybersecurity conference for executives. That takes place March 13th in Baltimore. One of the featured speakers is Dr. Phyllis Schneck. She's managing director of the Global Cyber Solutions Practice at Promontory Financial Group, an IBM company. She joins us with a preview of the presentation she'll be giving at the conference on the role of regulation in cyber. In cybersecurity, you're dealing a lot with the application of technology to enable our business, and here our banking. But if you regulate that technology too much, you could end up preventing some of the very innovation that makes the technology. So day-to-day at Promontory, my team focuses uh, with our clients at banks and other areas, such as biotechnology and aviation, and we say, what is your risk? It's not about how much technology you buy. It's about what is the risk your board of directors has decided that your company is willing to take They call it the risk appetite. How do you manage that risk? What are the things that make you, for example, a target or put you in danger? And what are the things you need to do, technology, governance, people-wise, to put in place as a process to ensure that it's not if, unfortunately, but when someone tries to intrude, steal, or damage your systems electronically, how you're able to bounce right back. And this is a very important part of the safety and soundness of any infrastructure. It's really looking at your board of directors and your company and your brand and saying, how much risk am I willing to take from all the electronics that enable my world and how do I protect it? And then the big question is how much of that protection should be uh, required and how much is up to you? And a lot of it comes to uh, the difference between compliance and security. Compliance is not security. Regulatory compliance says you've met the requirements of a law or regulation from a government agency or a state agency or somebody that says you have to meet those requirements and you literally check the box and you demonstrate how you met them. That's not security. It's a good start, but every adversary uh, in the world that wants to get you will look at what your compliance requirements are and go right around them. It's an easy roadmap to say, don't try here. They had to fill that hole. Where else should I look? I want to get your take on what I would consider to be a sort of a healthy tension. I think there's a I think we could agree that there's a, a, a need for a certain amount of regulation. At the same time, it strikes me that it doesn't do anybody good if that relationship between government and industry is more adversarial than collaborative. So that's the, that's the big question. Uh, it's always, I think for decades, people have been trying to determine that correct relationship, right? We're all on the same side. We want to maintain our way of life. 
um, have safe and sound systems. So I, I think it actually depends by sector. So for example, the financial sector has always been high re- highly regulated. Mm. The IT one historically not so much because the makers of technology have felt that innovation could get stifled in many ways if you have too much regulation. And and as a geek myself, I can tell you where there's there's a lot of truth in that. Where if you are told here's what a company must do for cybersecurity. Companies will go and manufacture. If you're if you're told you have to have widget A, B, and C, companies will manufacture all kinds of of varieties of A, B, and C because they know they're going to sell. They know they'll make money. The consumers won't invest in anything outside of what they have to have because, candidly, unless they are really forward thinking and willing to invest, they don't have to. Yeah. So you end up with two bad things there, right? One is uh, nobody's making anything new because there's no market for it. No one cares because the government's told you what you what you have to have to be secure. But the, the worst thing is that all the adversaries know exactly they've they've now reverse engineered widgets A, B, and C, and they have created their attacks right around it. You can always get around something. It's about resilience. It's about understanding not if but when the storm comes to me how I'm going to recover. It's really about what is the, in my opinion, it's about what's the minimum amount that can be required so that you're in a position to innovate toward resilience. So it's a very tough balance, but you have to preserve the innovation and the free market uh, and have just enough regulation to ensure that balance, that innovation isn't causing harm. That's Phyllis Schneck from Promontory Financial Group. She's a featured presenter at the fifth annual Cybersecurity Conference for Executives, hosted by Johns Hopkins University, March 13th in Baltimore. ESET has found another supply chain campaign, apparently originating within China, attempting to backdoor Asian gaming companies. ESET thinks the group is the one Kaspersky described in its 2013 report on the Winit operation. At least one Trojanized game, ironically called Infestation, remains in circulation. Avast and Emsisoft have each released decryptors for Big Bob Ross ransomware. Bravo to both companies. If you've been afflicted by Big Bob Ross, go to the company sites, those would be Avast and Emsisoft, and see what they've placed out there to help you salvage your data. Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat of Massachusetts, took out an ad on Facebook calling for big tech companies like, oh, Facebook, for instance, to be broken up in particular because critics say they tend to exercise a monopolistic control over information. Facebook took the ad down, citing misuse of its logo in the senator's ad. But then Facebook put the ad back up because the company said it's in favor of robust debate. We hope the senator's people sent Mr. Zuckerberg's people a nice fruit basket, because that kind of self-confirming publicity you really can't buy. Human curation or algorithm, we don't know, But the to and fro is so good for the senator that if we were peddling a conspiracy theory, we'd tell everyone she and Mr. Zuckerberg arranged the whole kabuki dance just between the two of them, and maybe even at the Bohemian Grove. Hashtag Monopolygate. Hashtag Wealthy Elite Kabuki. Alas, such stories really are too good to be true. There's nothing new under the sun, but rather we see time and chance in all. Really, she just bought the ad, and really, they just took it down and and put it back. But why aren't the shadow brokers all over this story? Anywho, yesterday was recognized as the 30th anniversary of the World Wide Web, and Sir Tim Berners-Lee called for the Internet's users to help it grow up. 
He's generally seen as the web's inventor. He proposed it when he was at CERN as a way of capturing information that might otherwise be lost due to personnel turnover. Sir Tim writes in Quartz that he sees three big problems with the Internet today. First, deliberate malicious intent, such as state-sponsored hacking and attacks, criminal behavior, and online harassment. Second, system design that creates perverse incentives where user value is sacrificed, such as ad-based revenue models that commercially reward clickbait and the viral spread of misinformation. And third, unintended negative consequences of benevolent design, such as the outraged and polarized tone and quality of online discourse. The first can be mitigated through laws and codes. The second calls for a redesign of systems to realign incentives. That third one is the tough one. Berners-Lee calls for research to understand existing systems and model possible new ones or tweak those we already have. Specimens of all three issues are on display in today's news. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast, Joe, great to have you back. It's good to be back, Dave. Uh, Joe, we recently uh, at the RSA conference, uh, the folks over at NSA released Ghidra. Ghidra. This is their reverse engineering tool, and uh, you've taken a, a look at this. Uh, I did. I downloaded it and played with it. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? I'm impressed, Dave. Yeah. This is a good tool uh, from you know from the about hour and a half to two hours I spent playing with it. Okay. You will need to install a JDK of some kind in order to get it to run. Okay. I just had the runtime environment, uh, so that didn't seem to work. But the JDK, I just downloaded the open source one that, or the open Java, whatever it is now, and that seemed to work just fine. Okay. Uh, so there's no real hurdles. You can just go out and download this thing. Uh, and the first thing I did was decompile a uh, program that was on on my hard drive that was you know just to look at it and see if it worked, and it worked pretty well. Yeah. The next thing I did was I took a look at some code I had written for an AVR solution. Okay. Okay, so AVR is a microcontroller architecture. Mm. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Arduino, the Arduino board 
at its center, it has an AVR processor. Okay. For, for it used to be Atmel, now it's microchip. So I just took one of my own files that had been compiled in AVR okay. and loaded it up in this tool and told it it's an AVR file. And sure enough, it it, decom- it, it disassembled it and then even put up some, some C code that looks pretty similar huh. to what I wrote. What if you didn't know that this code was AVR code? Would, would it try to figure out what it was? Could, uh, it, no, it, did, doing it that? didn't know what to do with it. Uh, until I told it it was AVR code. I did have to tell it it was AVR code, but you'll be knowing that it's AVR code if you're pulling it off an AVR chip. Oh, I see. Right. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I and mean, what do you make of this that that NSA has put this out there uh, a, a, in the wild for and open-sourced it? I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. Why Why did they do this? Maybe it's because they're um, they're trying to make it more this kind of a tool more available. There is a tool like this called Ida Pro, but you have to buy not only Ida Pro, but the uh, the HexRaise component to get everything that's available in this Ghidra product. Yeah. And those are prohibitively expensive. I have heard some speculation that uh, this allows folks to sort of come into NSA for a career being pre-trained on one of their primary tools. Mm-hmm. You know, so <laughs> if it, rather than having to train them in-house... You just open up that more people will come in knowing how to use the tools that NSA uses. I think a better theory might be that if more people have access to these tools, we'll find these vulnerabilities faster. Yeah. And then we can fix them. Of course, there's always a thing. If they're releasing this, what are they not releasing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, but I think it's an interesting contribution to the community. Yeah. Uh, Certainly there are PR aspects to it of making NSA seem a little less mysterious and Mm -hmm. uh, closed-doored, you know, that they're they're sending this out there for people to use, contributing to the community. So uh, I I think uh, that's an interesting aspect of it. I would agree. And, of course, uh, there's always the uh, – you cannot help when anything like this comes out. There's the speculation that the true purpose for, uh, from NSA is to include this with some sort of backdoor where they'll be able to right. see, <laughs> see every, everything that we're doing. And, you know, it's uh, funny when you say that. As soon as I started this thing up, the um, I got a message that said Java wants to open – a connection to the internet, and I yeah. said no. Uh, but that was probably for the updating software. I don't know that that was actually Ghidra doing that. Yeah, I've seen some. I guess there are a couple of uh, little bugs in there, a couple things that are ways it comes out of the box configure that made people raise their eyebrows. But uh, I don't know. It seems as though uh, you could certainly, you know what, you could decompile it with, with, <laughs> with itself, with, and, with itself. And see what it says. Oh, it's, it's yeah, it's Ghidra's all the way down. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's an interesting, interesting development and an interesting little bit of software for folks to be able to use. So, I'd say go uh, out and play with it. If yeah. Nothing else. I mean, it's free. It's right. Totally free. Yeah. All right, Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for joining it's us. It's my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 